Welcome to the 33rd episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I am Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we featured the disappearance, rape, and murder of a University of Vermont senior with her whole life in front of her. Our show is often horrifying and graphic and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during this podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at It Wasn't me truecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more the merrier. Hey, Mercedes, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Cindy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Good, good. I had someone tell me the other day, they were like, I love how you say well instead of good. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. I say finished and not done. <laughs> oh, okay. Precision in language. I love it. Yeah, Mine just comes out, you know. It's, um, our our region has some very distinct uh, words and phrases, and yes. we leave the G off ing words. Like I'm fixing to, I'm fixing, I'm yes. fixing to fix dinner. <laughs> I'm fixing to fix. Yes, you yes, know? yeah. Um, I done did. I'm getting ready. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, I want to tell you, I list, I listen, I watched the Epstein. Uh, Epstein, I can't remember the exact name of it, like Filthy Rich or something like that uh, on Netflix. Yes. And I have to say, you you know, and I don't know if our listeners know, but I do my best to avoid pop culture, politics, and anything going on in the world that causes me any kind of undue anxiety. Yes. So I really didn't know that much about Epstein. Like I saw the stupid things like, uh, who killed Epstein? Like all the time, those memes. But I did not realize what a sick fucking pervert this man was until I watched that and I don't you know I know that it's got bias or whatever but these women that and they were girls when this happened yeah they were children and and some of them were from were impoverished and you know it it really ruined their lives but they like came back stronger and um you know I just I need to watch it. I haven't watched I it. I didn't yet. sleep for about two nights because I, you know, and I tend to watch it like at, at night before I go to bed. So then uh, it causes yeah. me more anxiety. And, you know, I did tell you before that I had a doctor tell me don't watch the news. <laughs> yes. Especially before bed. So, you know, he said, what can you actually do about any of it? And he was right. So, yeah, he's yeah. right. I mean, yeah. I've been very anxious this week and um, I just, you know, different things, but I get it. You yeah. know, it's like I was, I was. You know, I have, which we're going to talk about, you know, but I have friends that are first responders. Right. So I was very worried. I mean, like. With all the rioting and, and things like that. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, my, my anxiety was to do with, like, my loved ones that are out there. Right. You know, um, and so it really. And, and not just the, your loved ones, but just what it's doing to our country, you know. Well, yes, that, Definitely. all of it, all of it. But uh-huh. especially when you have loved ones who are, yes. you know, and, and, and my friend is. He's like a brother to me, you know, I mean, like my kids call him uncle. So, you know, and, you know, he's not he is a fire paramedic, so he's not he doesn't really have protection. They're not licensed to carry any kind of protection with them. Right. So. um, So I was just very 
being where we live and, you know, we have a lot of influx of tourists and I just, I'm worried about right, it. And right. And it was a calm weekend. Well, that's, that's good. <laughs> yes. And I, I think it's important that we at least acknowledge what, what's going on. We, we just want to take a moment to express our condolences to the family and friends of George Floyd. Most definitely. Um, we really just pray for justice and peace for our country, really. I mean, there are a lot of people hurting and we just hope that there's a solution soon. I mean, Absolutely. just practice kindness and love and empathy to everyone you meet. And, you know, I, I guess there's just nothing else to say. I know I know when we first started, like we agreed not to talk about um, our politics because even though we are both towards the middle, we both lean different ways on yes. that spectrum. <laughs> so politically, we don't see eye to eye on things, but we still we do this podcast and we avoid I don't know if avoiding conversation is the right way, but no, respecting. we do. We yeah, do talk about it, we but do. we're adults. Right. And we can talk to each other. And the thing with me is I'm not out there to convince anyone to believe the way I do. You no. know what? You believe the way you want. It's not my job to convince you otherwise. And I don't care if you agree with me or not. But right. don't try to don't try to convince me of something that, you know, is, um, I guess, goes against my grain or is, is morally to me uh, not right. But, right. you know, I just I know that we both feel the same way about what's going on. 100%. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sad. So we pray for all of, you know, everybody who's been affected, like especially you, because you're anxious, too. Yes. Definitely. You know, and I'm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I also wanted to tell everyone that last week we recorded an episode with Ariel Cooksey from the Malice podcast, and we talked about the cult mentality and the psychosis of cult leaders and their followers. So check it out. It, um, it's on uh, Malice is the podcast. It's season two, episode 40, and it's called Afterthought Hive Mind featuring us. It wasn't me. Yes. Thank you. So, Cindy, what are you going to talk to us about this week? Oh, oh, oh no, you were going to talk to you were going to research what what Ariel Ariel talked about this this psychopath that neither one of us had ever heard. Yes. So Cindy decided that she was going to research this guy, right? Oh, yes. And, and he is it's a it's going to be a graphic one this week, right? Yes. Okay. It, I mean, uh, yes. There's a few okay. things that I don't dive too deep into i just kind of glaze over okay. you know yeah. i don't read crime scene reports or anything like that okay, but, well. you know <laughs> <laughs> i'll be doing that next week <laughs> okay. stay all tuned right. for that next okay. week <laughs> all right <laughs> all right so gary heidnick is heidnick. His name. heidnick okay yes and um i'm just gonna before i'm not gonna say it later i'll just go ahead and say it now and he is actually one of the six murderers that the author of the book that would later be The Silence of the Lambs. It was a book called Silence it, of the okay, Lambs, okay. too. Yes, I read um, the book. And I can't remember the author. I'm going to look that up really quickly. I, well, I have it later on. Okay, I think okay, I have good, it in there. Because yeah. I, I read quite a few by him. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just can't off the top okay. of my head. It's been a long, it's been a number of years since I read that. Probably at least 20. Yes. So yeah. he is one of the six that inspired Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill was a character in, in Silence, the Silence of the Lambs. And he's okay. the one that's like put the lotion on the skin okay. type, you know, I okay. mean. And because wasn't he the one that was kidnapping girls and, and then like making them starve to death? Yes. Not starve so the skin would be kind of flappy so he could wear it. Wear their skin. Okay, yes. Okay. He puts the lotion on So the there skin. was a real person that inspired that guy. <laughs> yes, there was, there okay. was six apparently. <laughs> okay, that's frightening. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Gary Michael Heidnick was born November 
November 22nd, 1943. Uh, he was an American criminal, <laughs> shocking, uh, who kidnapped women and kept them prisoner in his Philadelphia, Pennsylvania basement. He often is referred to as a serial killer, although he only committed to only having committed two murders, so he really technically wouldn't fit the standard FBI definition of serial killer, um, which the FBI dictates that three or more murders is classified as a serial killer. Does a serial killer, to be classified as a serial killer, have to have the same MO for each killing, or... Or is it just, he's killed three people, he's a serial killer? Well, remember we talked about in the past, spree killer versus, versus serial, serial killer? killer. And okay. we came down to, it's kind of, it's like the same MO. Like in this, but but things do, murder. what is it that um, they escalate, they do change. So, I mean, I think it just maybe depends on those murder, like how the murders took place, when they took place. You know, if I, if they go into a house and they kill three people, bam, 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 that's more kind of, that's not really serial killer that's I don't not think a, that's more like spree right and serial killers more methodical like a plant i mean yeah it's kind of sense? like a cat and mouse game maybe or you know there's like a thought process involved right like, not just holy shit i killed okay. this person so now i gotta kill these two people i'm thinking like you know a gangster who would go in and just shoot up you know a house or whatever that would not be a serial killer that would just be like business as usual or right and I so know. you know you know, our typical okay. serial killers, and I mean, if you like the famous ones, they kind of, they did escalate and change their patterns to fit, you know, not getting caught. Right. But they kind of always, like Ted Bundy, he had a M.O. Right. Um, Ridgeway had an M.O. You know, okay. all of these people, they kind of did it usually in the same way. What's his face? Dahmer. Same thing. Like and most all of, of his those, people were the, the ones who you're talking t about right now, they were actually interviewed. So there are interviews with those people mm -hmm. which also helped solidify the definition of the serial right, killer right so i don't know if you ever watched that tv show um because there's a thought pro like it's a psychotic they don't feel right. the same like i, I yeah. think of like they're like sharks they're just predators constantly mm -hmm. there's yeah. no empathy there and this gary heidnick was actually um i don't know if you ever watched the tv show i forget is it netflix or amazon mindhunter okay i have yes uh -huh. and he's actually one of the characters that they interviewed like in the 70s so Heidnick actually was interviewed um with that profile unit that, yes uh, i can't remember what that profile it was unit like was that was the startings of the behavioral yeah, the criminal minds yeah. yeah right yeah, yeah. Uh, like i said he was born november 22nd 1943 to a michael and ellen Heidnick and was raised in east lake which is a suburb of cleveland ohio um he had a younger brother named terry his parents divorced shortly after he was born. He was only like three when his parents divorced. The Heidnick children would obviously be, well, I say obviously, but anyway, they were raised by their mother. I think that would be, I mean, back then they wouldn't give the kids usually to the father. Right. But so, then again, divorce, I don't think was as common then as. In the 40s, definitely yeah. not. Um, so um, they would be raised by their mother for four years before being placed in the care of their father and his new wife, which is very strange for that time too so by 1950 they were living with their dad okay um, Heidnick would later claim that he was often emotionally abused by his father he suffered a prolonged problem of bedwetting and claimed that his father would humiliate his son by forcing him to hang the stained sheets from his bedroom window in full view of their neighbors After, go ahead that's very interesting because didn't your other serial killer wasn't he a bedwetter the pissy and his missy yes pissy and his missy yeah. and, and I want to say that that is that has been a characteristic of, mm -hmm. of more than one or two serial killers. Right, kind of like head trauma. 
sometimes I've read and listened to other podcasts where they've talked about head trauma. Listen, I dated a guy oh, <laughs> and one day and I didn't know because I was kind of young and naive. Like he, he, uh, <laughs> he woke up. No. Okay. We're oh. going to get rid of all that. <laughs> 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 He woke up one time and he's like, he's like, well, we need to clean your sheets. And I'm like, why do we need to clean my sheets? My sheets are clean. You know, we, we came home and went to bed. There was was no, and then I realized later that he had pissed the bed and I, and I broke up with like, well, did y'all come like hammered drunk and he yes. just didn't wake up? So maybe it was just and like that's a- it. But it was, I, and then I had heard from other people saying, "Yeah, he's a bedwetter." Oh. So he was, he did drink a lot, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell that story. So <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, after his son's arrest, so after Heidnik Gary was was arrested, his father Michael denied that he abused his son. Of course, he did. And who knows? I mean, who knows? Well, what, I mean, what would parents do back then if their kid went through that? I mean, it was, it, it was kind of like that, let's shame him publicly. Maybe that will stop it. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising that a father of that time, you know, I think about stories that my mom said about, you know, told about her grandfather, you know, they were, there wasn't all this. It's not an excuse to murder people. No, negative. All right. So at school, Heidnick did not really interact with his fellow students and he refused to make eye contact. So what does that make you think if he's refusing to make eye contact? Um... He's shifty. Uh, he's a coward. Or on the spectrum. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So I was, t- uh, you know, because listen to some other things like as I talk about him. So when a well-meaning new female student asked him, did you get your homework done, Gary? He yelled at her and told her that she was not worthy enough to talk to him. Oh, wow. Heidnick also teased, was teased about his oddly shaped head, which he and his brother Terry claimed was a result of a young Heidnick falling out of a tree. So he had head brain trauma. damage. Yeah. Okay. Nonetheless, Heidnick performed well academically and his IQ was tested at 148. So that is, um, that's super smart. Like I'm going to say 148 might be Mensa level. I'm going to check that right now, just out of curiosity. Yes, please do. Okay. So with the encouragement of his father, a 14-year-old Heidnick enrolled at a since-defunct um, Salton Military Academy in Salton, Virginia. Am I saying that correctly? Salton? You're, you lived in Virginia. Uh, where is it? Staunton. It's, it's, it's uh, Stanton. Stanton? It is Stanton. It, Stanton? it okay. is Stanton, yeah. So Stanton. I'm like, it doesn't look like Stanton. It looks like Staunton. And they're like, it's Stanton. Oh, yeah. Well, Stanton Military Academy in Stanton, Virginia. That's right by where we lived, actually. Oh, wow. It wasn't that far from where we lived. Well, the school's no longer okay. there. But. A high IQ is any score over 140, and a genius IQ is 160. 60. So he was... He's still really smart. Yeah. Well... So he went to this military academy for two years, leaving before graduation. So after another period of time in public school, he dropped out and joined the U.S. Army when he was only 17. Wow. So they would let people at that time join the Army without getting a high school diploma. Yes. Well, I mean, he might have lied about his age, too. There probably wasn't as easy a way to check it because I've told you before, my grandfather um, left school when he was 17. When he was a junior in high school, he left school, um, drove to, to another part of where we're from, and because everyone in our town knew my great-grandfather. So he had to go. He went about four hours away and um, lied about his age 
and was and there was how are they going to prove it? There were no you know there was no way. And then he went off to war, went off to World War Two, fought in the Pacific, and then came back in like forty seven and went back to high school and graduated. Could you imagine? I'd be like, I'm not putting up with your bullshit today. Well, he, yeah, he, I mean, I imagine he he went to night school, like adult night school or, or something. He didn't go no. to a high school with. Yes, he did. Oh my god, he's in the yearbook. I have the yearbook. That is. It's the high school I graduated strange. from. Okay. But a lot of them, a lot of men did that then, though, because I well, mean, you yeah. have to think it was yeah. shortly after Pearl Harbor, right? And so, yeah. anyway, so Heidnik served in the army for only thirteen months. During basic training, Heidnik's drill instructor or drill sergeant graded him as excellent. Following basic training, he applied for several specialist positions, including military police, but he was rejected. Um, I have no idea why. He just was. He went to San Antonio, Texas to be trained as a medic and did well through his medical training. However, he did not stay in San Antonio very long and was transferred to the 46th Army Surgical Hospital in West Germany. Don't know how to say that. Lonstuhl or I don't know how to use German. I don't know German. But yeah. So within weeks of his new posting in Germany, he earned his GED. In August of 1962, Heidnick began complaining of severe headaches, dizziness, blurred vision, and nausea. Um, a hospital neurologist diagnosed him with gastritis, gastro enteritis, enteritis uh-huh. and noted that Heidnick also displayed symptoms of mental illness, for which he was um, prescribed trifluoperazine, stelazine. Don't you love how I just pause? She and just she lets just, me, you know. <laughs> I'm like, nope, go okay. ahead. <laughs> in October of 62, Heidnick was transferred to a military hospital in Philadelphia where he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder, and then he was honorably discharged from military service. Okay, so another schizoid personality. Mm-hmm. I did a blog on that if you're interested. Huh? <laughs> yes. Okay. So shortly after his discharge, Heidnick became a licensed practical nurse and enrolled at the University of Pennsylvania. So I'd like to say that that is, that goes back to his IQ because that's Ivy League. So, you know, they don't just let anyone in. Um, But he only was there for a semester and dropped out. So how did he become a licensed practical, well, LPN, that's just kind of like you can do that at a, like a trade, like a trade school or, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, He learned at, or he learned, he worked at a VA hospital in Coatesville. Okay. But was fired for poor attendance and rude behavior towards patients. Okay. From 1962 until his arrest in 1987, Heidnick spent time in and out of psychiatric hospitals and had attempted suicide at least 13 times. Damn. You know, these guys that we're looking at, it seems like they always have some sort of brain injury or attempt suicide. And they've been in the mental health system mm-hmm. for years. Yep. It's, you know, it, you know, and you can't keep them locked up just for being mentally ill. Right. But they're, they're a danger to society. Yes. That's not fair to the rest of us. <laughs> right. So in 1970, his mother, Ellen, who had been diagnosed with bone cancer and was suffering from the effects of alcoholism, committed suicide by drinking muric, muratic, mercuric, mercuric chloride, which is a chemical compound found in mercury and chlorine. Right. His brother, Terry, also spent time in mental institutions and attempted suicide multiple times. Oh, wow. I know. Wow. Okay. In October of 1971, Heidnick incorporated a church called the United Church of the Ministers of God. So we have another cultish leader we on do. our hands? I, we do, but okay. I do not really get into that as, aspect okay. of him. But technically, okay. yes. So, okay, so you'll tell us he had followers and whatnot. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. 
Um, so initially only had five. Oh. In 1975, Heidnick opened an account under the church's name with Merrill Lynch. The initial deposit was around $1,500. Heidnick eventually amassed over $500,000, which is almost $1.2 million as of 2010. Wow. Right. In 1986, the United Church of Ministers of God was thriving and wealthy. Now, he amassed that through donations from followers or uh, investments or I think a little of everything. Okay. Heidnick. Okay. So I'm still telling you the background about him and his life. So eventually he would use a matrimonial service to meet his future wife. Now, are you talking about something like a match.com matrimonial service? What does that mean? Like a a, a mail order bride? Yes. That's exactly. So he corresponded with this person for two years before proposing to her. Betsy Disto arrived from the Philippines in September of 1985 and Mary Heidnick in Maryland on October 3rd, 1985. You know, as I'm sure you can suspect, the marriage rapidly deteriorated because who you, you know, letters and, you know, that sort of thing doesn't, you know, that's, you can fake that, you know, you can be honest or you could be, you know, fake it and trick someone. And, you know, he's not going to write down on paper, probably I'm psychotic and I want to right, the right. So she, so when she got here, he was not the person that he had portrayed himself to be. Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay. So the marriage rapidly deteriorated, deteriorated after she found him in bed with three women. Okay. At the same time or three separate times? Found him in bed with so three other women. So he's having a foursome with three That's other That's the women. way I'm reading it. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't specify here. Um, but we may get into that a little bit later. So Disto also accused him of repeatedly raping and assaulting her. With the help of the Filipino community in Philadelphia. Mm-mm. He forced her to watch while he had sex with. So he would force yeah. her to watch. Yes. So after she found him in bed, throughout the course of their very brief marriage, he also forced her to watch him have sex with other women. So he wasn't raping other women. It was consensual, but he was forcing her to watch? Yes, but then she also accused him of raping her. Okay, so, all right. Um, With the help of the Filipino community in Philadelphia, she was able to leave Heidnick in January of 1986. So they weren't even married. They weren't even married, but like six months. Right. October, not even six months, four months. Yes. Unknown to Heidnick until his ex-wife requested child support payments in 1987, he had impregnated Betty during their short marriage. On September 15, 1986, Disto gave birth to a son who she named Jesse John Disto. So she didn't even give him... The father's last name. No. Um, Heidnick also had another child with a Gail Lincow or Linco, a son named Gary Jr. Yay. Uh, the child was placed. I know. The child was placed in foster care soon after his birth, though. Heidnick had a third child with another woman. Does it say why they put him in foster care? I mean, here no. we have this um, pastor of a church. Why couldn't he take care of his own son? I don't know that he was really the pastor or just more the benefic- beneficiary. Oh, okay. Benefactor. Oh. It doesn't say that he was the pastor, but... Well, he didn't you say he founded the church or... Okay. Yeah, he incorporated the church. Okay. That doesn't mean that he was the, the man who stands at the altar. Right. Okay. So, immedi- um, so the son was immediately, was placed into foster care soon after, the, after his birth. And then Heidnick had a third child with another woman, Anjanetta Davidson? Anjanette. Anjanette. 
I was thinking of as someone else's name and it, I put them together. Yeah. <laughs> Who was illiterate and mentally disabled. Their daughter, Maxine Davidson, was born on March 16th, 1978 and immediately placed into foster care. Why are his kids getting put in foster care? I'm thinking because, well, he's he just in the is mental absent. health. He's in the mental health um, system. Yes. So... I'm thinking he was probably absent. And notice none of these kids have his name, his, like, last name. Except for we don't know what Gary Jr.'s name is. But last name is. So I'm thinking that maybe he just wasn't absent and they, well, if the mother was illiterate and mentally disabled, I don't know what that mental disability doesn't mean that they can't be a parent. But, I mean, that happens all the time. Right. But maybe they were all alone. They... You know, things were different then. They would yank those babies away from those moms. Yeah, but there's the a reason. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. But um, Heidnick, w- shortly after Maxine's birth, Heidnick was arrested for kidnapping and rape of Antoinette's sister, Alberta. Antoinette. Antoinette, her sister, Alberta. So he was arrested for kidnapping and raping this sister um, who had been living in an institution for the mentally disabled in Penn Township. So... He and his brother are... In and out of mis- mental and a, hospitals. And so is Anchonetta, Anchonetta and her sister. Okay. Yes. Not working with full deck here. No. Okay. No, no, no. So I'm going to kind of start in 1976 with his criminal activities and go from there. All right. So in 1976, his first legal charges were um, aggravated assault and carrying an unlicensed pistol after shooting the tenant of a house he offered for rent. And it grazed his, like, the tenant's face. So, a couple of years later, in 1978, Heidnick signed out the sister of his then-girlfriend, Anjanette Davidson, Alberta. Alberta was the sister from the mental institution on day leave, proceeded to imprison her in a locked storage room in his basement. After she was found and returned to the hospital, examination revealed that she had been raped, sodomized, and that she had con- contracted gonorrhea. Oh, Heidnick was arrested, charged with kidnapping, rape, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary, deviant sexual intercourse, and interfering with the custody of a committed person. The original sentence was overturned on appeal. Oh, my God. And Heidnick spent three years of his incarceration in mental institutions prior to being released in 1983 under the supervision of state state sanctioned mental health programs. So they so he does this to this woman and is basically giving a slap giving a slap on the wrist mm-hmm. and let go. Yep. So in 1986, you know, he's married to Betty by then. Well, she leaves him. After she leaves him, he was arrested again and charged with assault, indecent assault, spousal rape, and involuntary deviant sexual intercourse for what he did to his wife. You know, because some people like some men have it in their mind that, oh, you're my wife. I this isn't like it's your duty to have sex with me no you can you know it's not you know a free-for-all it doesn't matter who it is if it's against your consent it's rape it's rape yes so i'm going to jump forward to one of his main victims here so on november 25th 1986 heidnett abducted a woman named josephina rivera and it's hard to imagine but he actually turned her in many counts into his accomplice um so so kind of like the stockholm syndrome mm -hmm, okay Um, the way he initially captured her was pretty brutal and he would continue to treat his other victims that way as well. Like all of the women that he targeted, Rivera was a prostitute. He lured her into his home on the promise of money in exchange for sex. While she was there, um, getting her clothes back on, Heidnick came up from behind her and started choking her. Then he dragged her down to his basement, shackled her limbs together with chains and sealed the bolts in with super glue. Holy shit. 
Yeah. He, uh, excuse me, Josephine, Josephina would later give interviews because. She, so she lives. She okay, lives. that's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, she said that her life flashed before her eyes. All I could remember was like a film projector of things that were going through my life. You know, kind of like when you, you see in movies when people die or whatever and their life flashes before right. their eyes. It uh-huh. is kind of like yeah. a movie projector. Um, Rivera would later say it was like, you know, just flipping back. Gary Heidnick then beat her with a stick until she stopped screaming for help. Then he threw her into a pit, boarded it up, and sealed her in. The only light that seeped in came from the thin cracks between the wood coverings overhead. So this is down in his basement. God. Yeah. So anytime you're cut off from the outside world, um, we see this with a a lot of different cases with the Stockholm Syndrome. Like they kind of, they have a dependency on their captor. Right. And um, who is it that, uh, I guess, like, Patty Hearst, they try to say right. that she had the Stockholms, or was she just... But, like, Elizabeth Smart, yeah. you know, they, instead of subjecting themselves to any form of punishment, it's just easier to do what to your captor wants. Go with flow. Mm-hmm. Do what you need to do. And some people don't see that as a survival mechanism. They see it as, oh, that's an accomplice. That person helped. Right. When, you know, they don't know what that person went through. It's kind of like a mind fracture. Like, mm-hmm. it's like... No, I agree. You know, I would rather just, I would rather just do what this person says or it's going to end up hurting me. Right, right. And, you know, like with Elizabeth Smart, I mean, like she was able to like go out and roam freely. They were walking on the street when someone recognized her and said, are you Elizabeth Smart? Right. And she said, yes. Yes. You know, so, I mean, it's like she was walking on the street when she probably kind of took off running at any point and gone anywhere to say, hey, but when it came to her and someone said, are you Elizabeth Smart? She said, yes, I am. Like she was Well, and it so- took a while. It, they had to get him away from her and... Um, it did take a while. And and she actually said, you know, like, he told me, he told me that he was going to kill my family. Right. He told me this. He told me that. Um, and if he was able to keep her, kidnap and, her and keep her. And he said, you know, she, he kept telling her, you know, God, God ordained our marriage. And so, I mean, Ugh. it is, it is, you know, you... I, I, I don't know that much about Stockholm Syndrome, but I just know that it is a way, it is a mechanism for survival. Mm-hmm. Yes. I actually follow Elizabeth Smart on Instagram. Oh. And, you know, she has like three or four kids and is yeah. married. She's and got a, just like, a beautiful marriage, right? Yes. For an Irish guy, right? Or Scottish oh. or... Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I just know that Um, I, I look at her beautiful pictures and, you know, how uh, courageous yeah. and motivating and you know she that is. She and she speaks I'm like, about it for other survivors and for people who who go through these things and hold it in and she doesn't she speaks about it and you know she's like and that's when you release the hole that your victim that your abductor has probably very therapeutic and it took time but i mean i i was following her when she had a baby and i was like at what i mean like how do you i'm like i don't know if i would ever get over being raped day in day out to where it would be, okay, well, now I'm going to get married and I'm going to have children with my husband. It's like, I mean, I can't imagine the healing that she had to go through to right. get to that point to be like, okay, yeah, I want to have I want to have uh-huh. sex with, you know, I just, oh, right. I think I would be like, nope, and I'm I, done. I, yeah, I, I watched a documentary with her and she taught, she addressed that. And she oh, said, wow, you know, I this is like that. a man that I love. It's like, it's so totally it's different. different. Right. Yeah, yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I just think, God, the right. amount it's of. It's, Yeah. I mean, and her dad just came out as gay. Yeah, I know. I saw that. That was actually in the uh, documentary really? that I watched. Yes. I just ha- that just uh-huh. popped in my yeah. head. I'm like, what? 
but because they were like a religious family too. They were Mormon. The yes. Mormons, mm-hmm. yeah. We're gonna <laughs> sorry. We're, for we're gonna thing. we're gonna skirt on right <laughs> by that one. <laughs> All right. So I left off with you know. Antoine or Antoinetta. Antoinette. That's, that's someone else. A- Antoinetta <laughs> McCoy was on Pete Moses. Okay, the, thank you. Yeah. Um, so she talks about how this is my only source for survival was basically just to go with what he said. Yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm. he was her only contact to the outside of the world. So like you said, it's just, it was easier to go with the flow and just, you know, but she does escape. So okay. we know that it's still in the back of her mind. Like, I got to get the fuck up out of here. Right. So Rivera came over to Heidnik's side, supposedly, and he made her the boss of the other women. So, so he, there are other women. Eventually, yes. All right. And so she, it's kind of like when I watched Epstein and he had all these girls, like it was kind of like a Ponzi scheme. Like these girls would go get other girls for him. So, mm-hmm. but they were also victims. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. you see that kind of stuff on Law and Order and that sort of thing. All right. Like I said, he did bring other women in. So he, he brought other women into the basement and chained them up also? Yes. Okay. And, I, and, and I do kind of get into that. I, I really concentrated on this Rivera lady because there was a lot of information about her. Um, because she does get away. Oh, so okay. I can kind of, I'm going to go through her kind of, st- her story, and then I can, I will kind of backtrack a little bit to tell you about the other woman. Okay. Um, so Revere came over to Heidnik's side, like I said, it kind of made her the boss of the women. Um, it was his way of pitting, pitting them against each other. And if she did what he said, he'd bring her things like hot chocolate and hot dogs and let her sleep outside of the hole. Fuck. Okay. But he made it clear if she disobeyed him, she would lose her privileges. You know, that Castro guy, was it Castro that was in Cleveland or what? In Ohio, I'll say his name was Ariel Castro, but he had like three women in his house. Mm -hmm. So he would put them against each other. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So disobeying um, Heidnik was really dangerous. When one of the women displeased him, uh, he would put them on punishment. And that would mean being starved, beaten, and tortured. Sometimes he would wrap duct tape around their mouths and slowly jam a screwdriver oh into their god. ears. Oh Jesus, my ears. And watch them squirm. Oh God. Yeah, he was bad. If Rivera was going to keep her privileges, she had to understand that she had to aid him in the tortures. So based on the way that she's reacting, I'm gonna guess that she didn't come from the best childhood. And that she experienced childhood trauma because she's reacting like a survivor, like somebody who's seen atrocities in her life. Right. And I mean, and being that she was a prostitute, sex worker, whatever the politically correct term is these days, to me, just well-adjusted people just don't decide, you know, I think I'll go be a prostitute and sell my body. So she might have been fleeing something, wanted to be on her own and like. Could have been a drug addict. Who knows? There are right. all kinds of reasons why people turn it Right. Out, yeah. But I don't think, yeah. um, you know, yeah. I, I think I'll go sex my, sell myself today. Right. I don't think that that's really, I mean, I could be wrong, but. I mean, was she a street prostitute? Was she a street walker? Like, um, or did he like get her out of a magazine? I mean, do we know? Mm, I don't know okay. that. Okay. I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming since they called her, I'm assuming if she was like from like a, a madam type house or, you know, a call girl, high class call girl, something like that, it would be duly noted, but it just said prostitute. Okay. Um, again, so if she was going to keep her privileges, she understood that she had to help him out with this, with this torture. Um, once he had her fill the pit of water, full of water, attach a stripped extension cord to the other woman's chains and electrocute them while he watched. Okay. The shock was so painful that one of the women, a Deborah Dudley, was electrocuted to oh, death. Oh, dear God. So she died. 
from electrocution. So you see here, like, it's like he was like, his MO is like torture. I kind of feel like that he's not really just a, I'm going to starve you kind of person, or I'm going to beat you to death, or I'm going to strangle you. It's like he was like a, all it's like of a, one of those Nazi doctors that perform experiments yeah. and watch, just watch the torture. Yes. Right. So Heidnik barely reacted. Yeah, she's dead. Checked her body. Now I can get back to having a peaceful basement. <sighs> yeah. All right. So she must have been a loud one. Yeah. So even though, um, um, even more so than that of Dudley, the most horrible death in the basement was of a, a woman named Sandra Lindsay. She was a mentally disabled woman who Gary Heidnick lured in shortly after Rivera. So he seems to have an MO of, of getting the mentally disabled women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lindsay couldn't take the abuse as well as the others. So Heidnick put her on punishment. And starved her for days. When he finally tried to give her food again, she didn't move. He released her from the chains and she collapsed to the ground. The other women were allowed a few moments to panic. Um, When they started screaming at the sight of their dead friend, Heidnick told them to cut out their bullshit or they would die next. So he was like, he didn't have the patience for their hysterics. Right. You know. Um, He then dragged her body upstairs, cutting it into pieces. And allegedly he cooked her ribs in the oven boiled her head on the stove. Neighbors' complaints of the smell prompted a police visit, but he claimed he had just absently mindedly absent mindedly burned a roast. Okay, wait, 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 wait. All right. So does he live in a home, like a detached home? It says house in the basement of the house. The, so if I'm in my kitchen cooking something on my stove and my neighbor calls the police because it stinks Maybe the windows are open. Okay. Okay. All right. So. I wonder if it's it's like he decided to cook it after the flesh started like decaying. You know, I don't like, know. Okay. I mean, but later on they do some testing and, you know. All right. So, like I'll, I said, this is the story from Rivera. Okay. He also puts her arms and legs in a freezer. And then he supposedly grounds up her flesh flesh up mixes it in with dog food and brings it down for the other women to ingest okay do they eat it supposedly yeah well if you're hungry you're gonna eat whatever well and they might not have i mean they might not have known at the time and maybe she knew because she was the boss of the ladies so three of the women were still on punishment a few days before he'd let them watch tv and one had angered him by saying she was so hungry that the that the dog food in an ad looked good enough to eat She'd get the dog food, all right. Okay. And she and the other women would eat it. So with Lindsay's body's parts mixed in, though some sources refute this account and say that Heidink made it up to support his in- his later insanity defense. So that's why I'm saying, like, he says all this, but later they do the testing and it it doesn't come back that there's any human DNA or human left in one of them is like a Cuisinart I'm assuming blender type oh thing. okay All yeah right. so it would plague them for the rest of their lives uh you think it would plague the women who yeah. thought they ate their friends yeah okay. I mean I can't imagine what that would do to someone um that's like um the soccer team that got they had a plane crash on a mountain or something and they ended mm-hmm. up resorting to cannibalism yeah and they regret it. They were guilty all their lives, too. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, 
I mean, they really didn't have a choice. It was either eat what he gave them or they die. So one of the other women, uh, Jacqueline Askins, would later say, if it wasn't for me eating her or eating the dog food, I couldn't be here today. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess at some point you have to say, you have to try to rationalize that in your head. Right. So um, ultimately, accomplice or not, Josefina Rivera saved them all. Toward the end, Heidnick was using her as bait to catch more women. And he'd let her enter in and out, go in and outside. He'd let her go out to the outside world to help him pick up other women and lure them in the house, always keeping her close by his side. She used the goodwill and she earned to, she earned um, these out temporary trips outside of the basement. On March 24th, 1987, after helping Heidnick abduct a seventh victim, she managed to convince him to let her go out for a few minutes so that she could see her family. Whoa. I know, right? I guess he really felt like that she wasn't going to. Right. Yeah. Okay. So he would wait at a gas station and they agreed and that, that she would come back. Revere walked around the corner out of his sight and then she rushed, rushed over to the nearest phone and called 911. I mean, like, she thought about this methodically, and she was like, this is my only way. Because if she would have gotten caught, she would have been dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Officers promptly arrested Gary Heidnick right there in the gas station, and then they raided his house of horrors. After four months of imprisonment and torture, the women were finally set free. Wow. Yeah. So, a little bit about his church here. So, it lives on. All right. So, despite his attempts to get off on an insanity defense, I mean, this is, like, just keep going on. Gary Heidnick was convicted July 1988 and it was sentenced to death. He tried to kill himself the following January and his family tried to get him off death row in 1997. Gee, huh. why? Finally, July 6, 1999, he received um, death by lethal injection and can, became the last person to be executed in Pennsylvania. Uh, that is so interesting because the guy that I'm doing next week is also from Pennsylvania uh-huh. and he got... He received the death penalty. However, he's got a stay of execution because the last person to be executed, Mm -hmm. I learned, was in 1999. It turns out to be your guy. It's my guy. Yeah. Surprise. All right. So as for Heidnick's cult, this church, it's hard to say how much they knew. Even after he was arrested, they kept coming to church. While every news channel was blaring stories about Heidnick's den of women and the way he abused him, his followers, so he was the leader of this church, his followers kept coming out to his house for Sunday services. So he was having Sunday services in his house while he had these women in the basement. That is fucking frightening. And nobody heard anything. Like, the women were told to stay quiet. Like, I know that that's what the dude from the Castro or whatever his name was, Mm -hmm. like, he would would threaten them, you know, you say anything you're dead dead. yeah yeah um at least one follower a man named tony brown actually helped heidnick torture the women he thought of himself as heidnick's best friend he was there when heidnick starved Lindsay to death and there when um (coughs) heidnick dismembered her body and wrapped her up and labeled them as dog meat brown however not my mother dog bones right (laughs) that was the robert mormon yes i mean connections all over the place brown however was mentally disabled He was a victim of Heidnick's manipulation, according to his lawyer, a man who fit the pattern of Heidnick's victims. He's poor, retarded, and black. So were his victims black? I mean, not that it matters what color they were, but... I don't it was know. He's poor, retarded, and black. That's one of the. I, yes, I believe that the women were. Oh, okay. I think I did read that. I just didn't make. I didn't find it. They're women, like, so it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, unless oh. it was. Uh, so my question is, is that he is he's 
preying on the mentally disabled all yes. over the place all in over here. the place yes okay. yeah so according to Heidnick's neighbors the members of his cult fit the description just as well he held church services on sunday a lot of them came one of his neighbors recalled they were usually all mentally retarded wow like Rivera, Gary Heidnick's followers were victims of his manipulation. So into the investigation after they arrested him, um, his defense attorney, because remember I said he was trying to claim that he was mentally insane. His defense attorney, Chuck Peruto, Peruto said that upon examination of the Cuisinart, which I'm assuming is like a, a blender or food processor or something. I'm like, I mean, I know what a Cuisinart is. You have a Cuisinart at your house. What are you talking well, about? Well, no, but it's a brand. So, oh no, you have a KitchenAid or something. Yeah. Yes, I have a KitchenAid, but okay. Cuisinart, like they make blenders. My coffee grinder is a Cuisinart. Oh, okay. So, um, and so they tested the Cuisinart and they tested other tools in his home and they found no evidence of human remains or anything like that. Um, his attorney says he made up that story to support the insanity defense. The defense attorney said that he also stated the rumor of cannibalism in public, that in fact there was no evidence of them eating human flesh either. So, so he's it's just, just a to get... shock factor for the defense of insanity. Which to me, if they can prove him not insane, like if you're trying to say you're insane, then that to me tells me you're not insane. Right. Because so. But um, also, like I said, Heidnick used electric shock as a form of torture. Um, he used the starvation. He Sexual, sexually assaulted perversion, them. Yeah. Yes stabbing them in the ears of the screwdriver right yeah i mean he was just kind of like all over the place and i i mentioned a few a couple of the names i i told you that he duct taped them around their mouth stabbed them in the ear of the screwdriver he also abducted a, a young person or a person by the name of agnes adams the next day rivera convinced heidnick to let her go temporarily in order okay that, so that's when so that's just another person so then rivera at the very next day i guess after the next that next person he she was like this shit's gotta stop Right. I got to get out of here. Yeah. Um, the responding officers noted that the chafing from chains on her leg. So, you know, they could see where she had been, like, on captured. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, his purported best friend, Tony Brown, was also arrested. All of this, at, like, at the same time. So Brown was released on $50,000 bail in an agreement that he would testify against Heidnick. In part, Brown admitted to witnessing the death in the basement of Lindsay and Heidnick dismembering her. So shortly after his arrest in 1987, April in 87, Heidnick attempted to hang himself in his jail cell, which are, you know. Um, at Heidnick's arraignment, he claimed that the women were already in the house when he moved in. Oh, Hi. Oh, that's awfully convenient. Oh, they were already there. They're already in the pit. Yeah. So at trial, Heidnick was defended by the Charles Peruto Jr., if I'm even saying that correctly, who attempted to prove that he was legally insane. Heidnick's insanity was successfully rebutted by rebute rebutted yeah rebutted yeah Uh (laughs) i'm like wait by the prosecution led by a charles gallagher gallagher the fact that he had amassed approximately five hundred and fifty thousand dollars in his bank and brokerage accounts um was used to argue that he was not insane like he was not you know he knew what he was doing here he wasn't mentally retarded i I don't see how that proves that someone's not insane but but i guess legally insane is like totally fucking out of your mind to be legally insane you're not 
I think you're just insane all the time. You don't go in and out of insanity. Okay. I guess to be found, you have to. Well, a psychopath cannot be found. That is not the definition of mentally insane. Right. I mean, we might use it that way, but that's not really. A sadistic torturer, we say, yeah, that person is crazy. You have to be crazy to do that. But legally, they should still know right from wrong. Right. If you're... If you're deemed legally insane, you are in a state where you don't realize what you're doing is wrong. Right. So testimony from his Merrill Lynch financial advisor, Robert um, Kirkpatrick, was also used to prove his competence. Kirkpatrick called Heidnick an astute investor who knew exactly what he was doing. Convicted on two counts of first-degree murder on July 1st, 1988, Heidnick was sentenced to death and incarcerated at the State Correctional Institution in Pittsburgh. In January of 1989, again, he tried to commit suicide on an overdose of his... um, Thorazine. His medicine that he had been on. Yeah, Thorazine is like major mental. Is that like lithium? Like um, on, on that level? I think so, yeah. Because once you go on lithium, you're not supposed to be able to come off of it. I'm not sure if it's that class of drugs, but it is. It's 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 an antipsychotic, if I'm not mistaken. Right. In 1997, Heidnick's daughter, Maxine Davidson White, remember one that was in foster care, and his ex-wife, Betty Heidnick, you see her last name's Heidnick now all of a sudden, oh. filed suit in federal court in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania seeking a stay of execution on the basis that Heidnick was not, in fact, competent to be executed. So what, does she want his money? I mean, I don't understand. She's, I don't know why she would come um, back and try to pull that bullshit. Like, he raped you, honey. Why I mean, and you watched him torture and rape other women. Yeah. So after two years of legal proceedings in various courts on July 3rd, 1999, the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania issued its final ruling clearing the way for Heidnick's execution. He was executed again, or not again, but <laughs> okay. again, Heidnick was executed uh, by lethal injection on July 6, 1999 at the state institution or state correctional institution in Rock Rockview in Center County, Pennsylvania. His body was cremated, and as of 2019, he's the last person to be executed in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Heidnick's last dinner, and we always like his last meal, his last meal, yeah. It's not really all that fancy. Consisted of two cups of black coffee and two slices of cheese pizza. So I'm guessing he just didn't care. Yeah, I mean, who cares, right? So I do want to then give you like a go over all of his captives, like just how old they were and that sort of thing. So Josephine Rivera was 25 when she was kidnapped on November 25th, 1986. Sandra Lindsay was 24. She was kidnapped December 3rd, 1986 and was murdered February of 87. Lisa Thomas was 19. She was kidnapped on December 23rd of 86. Deborah Dudley was 23, kidnapped January 2nd of 87, and was murdered March 19th of 87. Jacqueline Askins was 18, kidnapped on January 18th of 87. Agnes Adams, 24, kidnapped on March 23rd, and was rescued that same day, because then that's when... It's it's very odd that these are all just within, what, a six-month period? So yeah. he didn't have... He just decided, hmm, I want a bunch of women in my pit. Yep. And went after it. Because, look, I mean, there's not the days, you know, there's not very many days. No, between. like 25th to the 3rd, that's that's not even a week, is yeah. it? Yeah, and then the 3rd to the 23rd, then the 23rd of December to January 2nd, January 18th. And the longest, it seems like, would be January 18th to March 23rd. Right, right. So, oh. I mean, like, it was very rapid. Wow. Well, all right, Mercedes, that's what oh I got. Oh, my God, he is a sick fuck. I mean, I... Yes. Uh, yeah, I had never heard of this guy before. So, you know, thanks to you and Ariel, yes, <laughs> I'm, 
Okay. One more serial killer up in my book of knowledge. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll, I'll forget about most of his things. When I reference this, I'll say, yeah, that sick guy, the, the skin guy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. The Buffalo Bill guy. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. And thanks, guys, for listening to this week's murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you. We thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating with a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, just visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together and share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved supporters by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it it wasn't wasn't me. me.